We're going to continue in our messages called Walking Like Jesus. And today is uh, intentional, loving relationships. That Jesus was very intentional about not ministering from afar. I always used to tell young people, you don't make a difference from a distance. Uh, you have to draw close. And Jesus drew close to people. And I'm so thankful for a Savior who loved us so much that he lived with us and he walked with us and he walks with us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for walking with us every step of our lives. In the good times and the difficult times, through the storms, you're always there. And Lord, we're so thankful for the relationships that all of us have had over the years, for individuals who have helped us to lean into you, and to learn more about you, and to love you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We've got two primary texts that we're going to get into, and the first one comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, so you can go ahead and mark that. And our big idea is really simple, and this is just my opinion, but it's also Sean Green's opinion, and it's Tom Ellsworth, so good stuff, okay? So here's the opinion, all life change happens through relationships. All true life change happens through relationships, I'm going to show you a picture. Some of you have seen it. And uh, the title of it is Laughing Jesus. Laughing Jesus. Uh, it's by Willis Wheatley. And actually, this originally was a pencil drawing. And it was a guy in Canada. He had drawn this for a conference. And he actually called it Jesus Christ the Liberator. Um, let's trim that down to Laughing Jesus. Okay, Jesus Christ the Liberator. Then in that was in 1973. Then in 1976... There was another guy named Ralph Kozak who saw this simple pencil drawing, had no idea who did it, and loved it so much, uh, and he, he designs things and loves to makes logos and t-shirts, and so he actually redid the drawing a little bit, added color to it, uh, started sending prints out, started making money, and eventually people said, wait a second, that's not even your original drawing. So they tracked it all the way back. Now, millions and millions of prints have gone out. Now, here's why this story to me is interesting. They think that's the first time that there was a public uh, announcement and a public print where Jesus was laughing. Now, imagine that. Nearly 2,000 years of portraits and painting, and nobody wanted to take that next step of if Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% human. Guess what? Jesus laughed. I think people are like, oh, no, no, not Jesus. I'm like, oh, no, Jesus laughed. Do you know why he laughed? I mean, seriously, just look to your right, to your left. I mean, just look around. Look at us, okay? Of course he laughed because he's working with humans. Psalms 2-4, I love this. The one whose throne is in heaven sits laughing. See, we need to see God, not so much as a God of judgment, but a God that wants us to have joy. And even a God that laughs? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. And you know why I believe Jesus laughed? Because of relationships. Jesus got so close to people. I got to tell you, if you let your mind wander about when Jesus... Can't you see the kids running up to Jesus? Remember the disciples? Don't let the children come to me. Do you think Jesus was stone-faced? And the kids are like, I like him. He's stone-faced. No. It's like, I, I think Jesus laughed. Like, no, man, let the kids come to me. Pharisees, back down. You know, I mean, I just love that. Don't you think as he sat around 
and they would reflect on what happened. Do you remember that amazing story where they dropped that guy through the roof? You got to know that night they're talking about it. Can't you see them going, oh man, Jesus, seriously, the dust is coming down. Did you see the Pharisees? Man, did you see the, and then that guy, that guy's screaming and he's, he's hollering and his friends are like, don't drop him. It doesn't matter. He can't feel it. I mean, they're just <laughs> loud. And you know, Jesus lean back and goes, that was awesome. I see, we're like, no, no, not Jesus. And not where I'm at, yes, yes. Because Jesus is all about relationships. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Two very basic questions. What motivated Jesus? I mean, what motivated him to live that life that way? And then, how did he spend his time? I just believe with all my heart, if you want to really know what a person's priorities are, just check out how they spend their time. And I mean, when, I don't mean just going to work time. I mean, what they love. You'll really know what's inside a person. What motivated Jesus? Now, as we get to our text, <coughs> there's one thing I want you to keep in mind, and that is the guy that writes this in 1 John. Uh, the Apostle John, interestingly enough, uh, there's one word that dominated his writings. Anybody want to know what that word is? is love. Love. The gospel book, John alone, love is mentioned 57 times. That is more than the other three gospels combined. You think he wants us to get the message? Jesus Christ had a motivation. Follow with me in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love completes us. You know what motivated Jesus, just like I do. He was motivated by love. Not plastic love. It's agape love. Unconditional, sacrificial love. Here's another way to put it. God's love for us is not conditional. Therefore, we can love others, not out of fear or obligation. We love others because God's generous love to us. Can you comprehend it? No. But when you experience the overwhelming love of God, guess what? You can love others. But if you don't experience that overwhelming love of God, then there are other things in life that will motivate you. But we need to be motivated by love. Or from that classic movie, so inspiring, Princess Bride, love, true love. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. Some, some people quote C.S. Lewis, some people don't. So anyway, here's another way to look at love in action, being motivated. Uh, there's an interesting uh, business book, and it's entitled Drive by Daniel Pink. Now, I just, just for a few moments, I want to unpack this because this really spoke to me this week, uh, actually in a profound way because I thought, boy, this is so true. MIT 
a group of students and researchers got together and they conducted this experiment. And the whole purpose of the experiment was to prove truly what motivates all of us is financial gain. So they thought it was an open and shut case. Took two groups. The first group, uh, they gave them mechanical, uh, basically, tests. And they said, whoever finish, finishes the highest will get the highest prize, like $500, second, third place. So you're motivated by uh, this, and this high achievement of coming through these tests. Now, all of these tests were mechanical in nature. And what I mean by that is, you didn't have to think through a lot of it. They did just basic physical skills. Uh, they did actually crossword puzzles. They just did some things where they could get a test score. They could get a number. They'd add it up, and they would update people and say, so-and-so is at 97, so-and-so, until they finally got the prize. And they thought, okay, group one, many people participated. Many students jumped in. They thought, here we go. We're going to prove this. Second group, uh, they didn't do any mechanical skills. They got more into cognitive skills. In other words, they said, we want you to develop a theory. There's going to be some problem solving. There's going to be some creative uh, movement towards what we're going to give you. And then we want you to come up with a game plan. They couldn't hardly get any participants. So they emphasized, you're going to get this money, second, third, first place, big money. Guess what? They couldn't hardly get anybody to actually even finish it. They said, what is going on? I said, oh, no, we know what it is. We're working with MIT students. They got money. They don't need the prize. So they actually took the same exact test to, a, to one of the poorest regions in India. And they advertised prizes, one, two, three, and all you got to do is these physical tests, these little uh, easy-to-keep track of black and white tests, huge turnout. They got a first, second, third prize. Then they said, now the next one is to come up with this test with creative thinking and implement a plan, and they couldn't hardly get any participants. And now they're thinking, this makes no sense at all. And here's what they finally came. Their conclusion was, you can't always dangle the carrot and say, money is always the number one motivator for people. And then they did more research, and they found out very few people like where they work. Guess why? If it's just money... To get the check, they found out that isn't keeping people. And you know what they're finding out about this newest generation coming up, going in the workforce? You know how we would hang in there to get the check? Guess what they're going to do? No, thank you. Do you know why? And here it is. Because all human beings have three major needs. I love this. Autonomy. Here's what autonomy means. They want something that they can have the challenge of being a self-starter, self-directed, that their choices matter. Number two, mastery. Everybody loves to do something that they know they can get better at. You ever have a job and you know this isn't about getting better, this is about surviving. I've shared with you my greatest job was working at a horseradish farm, and I can tell you it didn't take long before I realized I'm going to college. I'm not doing this. Okay, do you know what I'm saying? Because I'm not, I'm not changing the world there at the old horseradish farm. And I don't mean bad, but I'm looking at the guys that have worked their whole life. And I'm like, honestly, not promising. Okay, you know what I'm saying? You've been there. Most of you have been there. We want something. That's why if you ever notice people, what they master and they get better at are not the things that work. It's they can't wait to get home to do something they love and master that. Number three, this is huge, purpose. That first group. What was the purpose? I just want to make some money. Short term, no problem. The second group, if you remember, 
They asked them to be creative. They asked them to come up with a game plan. You know what they asked them to do? We want you to buy into the product. Do you believe in it? And they're like, no, thank you. I don't believe in this. Some of you are there right now. You're in a job, and you're in a situation, and you're saying, what's the purpose for this? What's the purpose for this? There's something beyond the carrot at the end of the stick. Matter of fact, it's interesting, the company uh, that started Skype, a lot of you love to Skype, it's amazing. The founder, this is their mission statement. This is awesome. We will be disruptive and in the cause of making the world a better place. Now, that'll get you up out of bed. Isn't that greater than McDonald's? You deserve a break today. You know, does that inspire you? No. When Steve Jobs says, let's make a dent in the universe, that has, does that inspire you? Yeah. We all have this deep purpose. And you know what I love? This is where the church comes in. Listen, when you, when you put your toe in the deep end of the pool of the church, when you say, I want to be a part of a church, it's being a part of relationships. And it's saying, I believe that I have the ability to start something. God's spirit is moving in me and I can do something. I believe deep inside that I can be better because there's other people side by side that will help me get better. And ultimately, there's a purpose because I'm not investing in stuff. It's not about the stock markets. It's about seeing people get in a horse trough and surrender their life to Jesus Christ. It's about people who literally, you could see, transform and become more like Jesus. Why? Because they are building relationships with others on the same journey. There is purpose. What motivates you, what motivates me, needs to be the very same thing that motivated Jesus. Love. The love that Jesus had. Now, I thought about, because ministers have a tendency of pointing fingers and making it sound like they don't have an issue. So I just want you to know, I, th I asked myself, over the years in ministry, what has motivated me? Okay? And, uh, and it's Jesus Christ. That's it. I've always been perfect. Okay, so you know that's a lie. <laughs> I've been motivated by my insecurities. Uh, this is the truth, and I never wanted... I heard a youth guy say this, and I hated him, but he's right. He goes, you know why a lot of guys get in youth ministry? because they weren't popular in high school. I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> well, yes, it is. I mean, we are insecure, are we not? And I can look back in my life. I'm like, how many times I made decisions because here's the deal. I want people to like me. Not because I felt God leading me, but I, I want people to like me. You ever struggle with that one? Fear. Now, sometimes fear can be a great thing, but sometimes fear, if that's your motivation, that's not a great motivation to be always living in fear. And here's a big one, guilt. I think of how many times that I make ministry choices because I feel guilty. And you know what I feel guilty? Because I know a lot of you are leaders and you're in the same boat. You can't be two places at one time. You ever have that guilt? You, you'd be moving towards one direction to help someone. In the back of your mind, there's two other people you know you should be contacting. And then you run over here, and then you feel guilty because I'm not spending enough time at home. And so I stay at home, and then I feel guilty because, honestly, I don't like my kids. You know what I'm saying? I'm at home, and I go back. All of us are motivated by different things. So if you really want to wrestle with this issue, ask yourself, 
What motivates you? Seriously. And if you really do a soul search, you may find out, I don't know that I really am motivated by the love of Christ. I mean, I need to move towards that kind of motivation. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, listen to this. For Christ's love compels, another word is motivates, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now that is motivation. Jesus died for all of us. He loved us that much, and he was motivated by love. So he said, listen, if Jesus did that for you, love the way that he loves. Because all life change happens through relationships. And when we're motivated by love, we realize that all life change happens through relationships. Now, here's the next question. It's critical. How did Jesus spend his time? If he's motivated by love, then how did he spend his time? Look at Matthew 9, uh, verses 9 through 12. And you know the story, but I'm going to review it again. And you actually need to go to the very beginning of the chapter. And Matthew 9 actually begins... Uh, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. I just mentioned him. They drop him through the roof. And uh, Jesus not only heals him. Anybody remember the second part of that story? He forgave him. And the Pharisees uh, who were crowded around, always listening, said, Whoa, 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 blasphemy. Only God can forgive. And they were outraged. And yet it says in verse 4, there in chapter 9, this is interesting. Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. Now, hold that thought. And this is going to be kind of rapid fire. John chapter 2, uh, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the Passover time. Uh, the people are following Jesus, and uh, they're following Jesus because of the miracles, and Jesus just stops them in his tracks, and here's what he tells all the people. Basically, I don't trust you. And then in verse 24, it says, he knew all people. And then it says, he knew what was in each person. Did you catch that? He can read their mind. He can know their thoughts. He knows why they're there. Then in Luke 6, it's the Sabbath again. There's a man whose right hand is withered, and the, he's brought to Jesus. Jesus heals him. The Pharisees are mad. Why? You can't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus heals him. And this is paraphrased. Jesus is like, You've got to be kidding me. You're so concerned about the Sabbath. This guy walks in here and he's been healed. But then, interestingly enough, you read this phrase again. Jesus knew what they were thinking. In Matthew 9, John 2, Luke 6, and it goes on and on and on. Jesus would see somebody and he would know their heart and he would know their mind. And you think, why is that important? Because Jesus was motivated by what? Love. So when he encountered somebody, other people might judge them, but he knew who they really were. Now, let's pick up the rest of the story. We know Jesus approaches, and he's, he's traveling, and he comes, and there is a booth, and at that booth is a what? Tax collector. And some of the gospels said his name is Levi, and then Jesus changes his name to Matthew. 
it's interesting, Matthew right out of the gate says, no, no, I'm Matthew. You know, as he's telling this story. And as Jesus approaches, 99.9% of the people who see that guy sitting at that booth are thinking what? Anybody know? Jerk. Loser. Why would Jesus even talk to this guy? Because this isn't just a tax collector. Let me tell you what this guy did. This particular kind of tax collector actually went to the Roman government and they worked out a deal with the Roman government so that they could tax people and charge them anything they wanted. And you know what they did with the prophets? Deep pockets. And so they could do anything they wanted. So somebody's going to the Passover. They could stop them and say, okay, get out your bags. Get all your stuff out. Okay, last year I taxed you this much, but today I don't like you. So I'm going to tax you this much. Now, can you see why the people in general are thinking, I don't like this guy. Jesus doesn't only approach him. What's he say? Now, remember, this is not Matthew begging. This is Jesus intentionally going to him. And he said, Matthew, follow me. Now, how do you think that landed with the rest of the gang? Do you think the disciples are like, I like that guy. Dresses well. You know, he, he's got some money. Let's get this guy. No, I think you got to know they're looking at each other like, what is he doing? You know, well, why would Jesus do that? And it gets better. Y'all know what he did after he, he asked Matthew to follow him? Anybody remember what he did? Hey, Matthew, I'm going to come to your house. You're going to have a party. You're going to have friends there. Jesus didn't say, tell me about your friends. He already knows who's going to be there. Other tax collectors. And Jesus is, I think this is one of those times, I think he's laughing. I think he's walking in. I think the Pharisees are mad. I think they're telling tax jokes. I think they're just going, hey, Jesus, this is crazy thing. You know, and all of a sudden, I think the other tax collector is saying, Matthew, I want, I want what you found. And can't you just see Matthew? I can almost see the tear well up in his eyes. said, you won't believe this. He didn't ask me for anything. He just wanted me to follow him. Anybody remember what he did? He laid it all aside and he followed. Now, why? Because when he looked in Matthew's eyes, he knew his mind, he knew his heart, and he knew money's not your motivation. Buddy, today, you're empty. You want purpose in your life. You'll do anything if you could truly have purpose. Why don't you follow me? And he's like, done. That's what he's looking for all of us. He wants all of us to be motivated by love, and he wants us to spend our time building relationships the way that Jesus did. If you remember way back, a little over a year ago, uh, we really emphasized, and we need to still do this, uh, to be praying for one person, one life, one person that you know that needs Jesus Christ. Because, folks, I'm telling you, you never know that there's somebody in your life right now that is one conversation away from giving their life to Jesus Christ. Do you know how many Matthews are all around us? I mean, they're sitting at their jobs, bored stiff, going through the motions, and they want to know what's next. And if they see Jesus in you, you never know. Uh, my day off is Friday, so please don't ever call me. Um, <laughs> anyway, I get, a, I get an email, and uh, uh, there's, there's a woman at church, and she said, uh, I've got a friend. I want you to meet him. He's going through a lot of struggles. And so I met with him. He's, he's battling. He's, he's battling an addiction. And he's sharing his story. And he said, uh, I'm so confused about baptism, but I think I need to do this. And I, and I said, man, 
I will come back here at any time. I'll do whatever it takes. Um, and I said, I'm not telling you you have to do this because if you don't do this, God doesn't like you. I'm just telling you this may be the first step you need to take. He said, okay, let me, let me think about it. I said, hey, tomorrow morning, we're actually here at the church, have a free breakfast. And I said, they're going to be talking about this. You may, you may enjoy that. And to be honest, um, I wish I could tell you, I diligently prayed for him the rest of the day. The day flew by. Yesterday was absolutely a blur. And Nancy Barrow uh, works there at the church. Uh, I had a funeral yesterday. And right before the funeral, she came up, she put her arm around me, and she said, uh, you remember that guy you talked to yesterday? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, he got baptized this morning. That's why we do what we do. It's all about relationship. Life change happens through relationships. You remember those three Ds? We talk about develop relationships, discern stories, and then pray. Develop relationships, excuse me, discover stories, and discern the next steps. Just start praying, and God will lay them on your heart. Matthew 9, 12, uh, I love when Jesus is he's threatened by the Pharisees. He said, is it not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick? Isn't that awesome? Jesus said, of course I'm here with Matthew and his friends because they're empty. Why are you here? That's what he's telling the Pharisees. Why are you here? Your motives are so impure. And for some reason, they did not like that. But honestly, that's the mission of the church. We need to be willing to go where the people are. You know, in life, every so often over the course of a year, we'll have conversations. And as we're having it, we're like, I will never forget this conversation. You've probably had a few of those already this year. So I remember uh, back in the fall, sitting outside of Lucky's. It's one of my favorite places to go. Uh, and it was a beautiful, warm fall day. Do you guys remember what that is? Warm, heat, sun, nice. Rumor has it's great. Sitting out there, and uh, it was with John Muffler. And uh, uh, I think I was one of the first people. He said, hey, I, I just want you to know the word's going to come out tomorrow, but I've accepted a position and, uh, up near uh, Minneapolis. And I said, why? Anyway, he, he shared Minneapolis, and we kind of laughed. And then he, he said, if you had to boil down what's happened on the west side, can you just share with me uh, pros and cons? Well, I would already kind of knew this conversation was coming, so I said, well, John, I wrote down three things I would never do again, lessons I've learned, and here's three things, honestly, I think we got right. And he said, just tell me what you did right. <laughs> and I said, well, it wasn't me. But uh, I want to share them. You're tired of hearing these, but I want to share them again. I said, first of all, uh, we believe that prayer isn't something you do before the big event. Prayer is the big event. And we're going to pray. And when we don't know what to do, we're going to pray more. And we're just going to pray. And I said, you know, the crazy thing is, we didn't have a place to pray. So that's why we pray in a bar. Because we are going to pray. We're going to set chairs up. And we know that there's Sundays. Nobody is going to come and pray. You know what? We're just going to keep setting up the chairs because we're going to pray. The second thing is, if we don't serve, we don't survive. I mean, we have to roll up our sleeves. We have to serve one another. We have to serve our community. And if we don't, guess what? There is no West Side. So I said, uh, we have to serve. 
or we don't survive. So I said, whatever you do, you do not let them off the hook. You don't share with your congregation, we're just so happy you're here. We don't want you to serve. We want you to be comfortable. No, we don't want you comfortable. We need you to serve because you know what? There's joy when we serve one another and we serve our community. And probably the most important one was simply this, come as you are. Come as you are. And really, is it that hard when you talk to a friend and you say, where do you meet? And you'd say, remember the gathering? And they laugh and they're like, I bet I can come as I am. You know, they know, they figure that out. But it's more than just, can I wear jeans? It's come as you are. Because you know what I found? Um, and I know that this is true. There are very few people in this world that are unchurched. You know, that, that really is true. You, you may have people say, oh, there's so many people in Bloomington that are unchurched. And I would challenge them. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think that's true. Almost every human being I've ever met, they've been to church. There are no church, like I want nothing to do with the church, but they've been a part one time or another church. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people, that's the problem. They've got so much baggage from their church experience. So we want to be the place that says, uh-uh, we don't want to do that. Come as you are. You got issues? Guess what? We all have issues. If you're looking for a minister who's got their act together, please, if you're visiting, don't come back here. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't have my act together. And I'm just like everybody here. We're just trying to figure it out. I just pray, Lord, help me be motivated by love. And help me to, to do with my time what you did with your time. And you poured into other people. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Uh, we're going to have a time here. Uh, uh, we call this an invitation. And what's the invitation? Well, it's twofold. We realize that some of you here have been struggling with, I want to be a part of what's going on here at the West Side, and I'm just not quite sure what to do, or you might have questions. Well, we want to be here. We're going to have some people here to, to greet you and to help you. And there may be somebody here, and you're like, I want to take that first step with Jesus. I know I've got a lot to learn. I know I've got baggage in my life. But, man, I need to move closer to Jesus, and we want you to know we're here to help you make that decision. And then we want to be like Jesus, and that is we want to walk with you, okay? I just want to pray, and then as we're singing, I want you to be praying for anyone who's thinking about that. And if that's a decision that's on your heart, if you'll come forward, we just have some folks here who will pray with you and that will help you as we sing. Let me pray for you first. Heavenly Father, we come before you and... Uh, this invitation is all about uh, folks that are struggling with the question is, I want to be long, and I want to be a part of this family. And so, Lord, we want to do all that we can to make that easy. And so, Lord, help us this morning. And, Lord, there may be somebody here this morning, and in their heart, here's the battle. They want to follow you. They want to take that first step. They want to surrender to you, but they just don't know if they have the courage to do it. So, Lord, I pray that they'll have that courage to take that first step. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for teaching us how to live every day of our lives, motivated by your love. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. 
Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.